Sunday to everybody um, who here has had a tough long week. Can I see a show of hands? Okay, no one. So, oh, I see one person, yeah. So I guess everybody is doing very, very well. I'm happy to hear that. So I hope everybody's excited to dive deeper into the Word this morning. As you all know, if you don't know me, my name is Isaac Chong. I'm one of the pastors here in Christian Bible Church. And if you were here for the past few weeks, you would know that we're going through a series right now in the book of 1 Corinthians. Our theme is entitled, Jesus is the Answer. And if you were here the previous weeks, you would know that Reverend Genesis preached a very great sermon on jealousy, on quarreling. The Corinthian church were going through a period of fierce division. They were quarreling, they were jealous of each other, and they were not united as a church. And the week before that, we had Pastor Nathan preaching to us about they have to wear on a new lens, a new lens of spirituality, because they're now living in a new environment, a new spiritual reality that they had to embody, no longer the fleshly human ways that they were in. So this morning, we'll be talking about our passage in chapter 3, 6 to 17. We'll be unpacking more the problem of why they were still living fleshly and human lives. We'll be talking about the new spiritual reality that they have to live in, which is built upon the foundation of the cross. We'll be discussing the problem, a very relevant problem, the Corinthians' problem is they profess themselves to be Christian, yet they live with human values, yet they live according to their social values of their cultural world at that day. Hence, our topic, our t- I titled it this morning, will be the foundation of the cross, a new spiritual reality. Now, you might be wondering, what is the context of Corinthians? So it's the same, parin, if, you has been, if you have been here the past few weeks. Corinthians are still divided. They're still picking their leaders. Some say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Paul. And they're still fighting over each other, picking their leaders, denouncing the others. And this is something that Paul said to them, that you are still being very human. Hence, Paul says in verses 45, For one says, I belong to Paul. Another says, I belong to Apollos. Are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. Now, biblical scholars would say that the Corinthian church has been existing at this time for around 45 years. Paul planted the Corinthian church. But yet, here's the problem. Paul is saying to them, even after four to five years, you're still being very fleshly. You're still being very human. You have not made progressive or significant improvements in your spiritual life. Paul is saying this, you may be Christian in principle. You may profess yourselves to be Christian, but there's nothing different about the way you live compared to the rest of the world. Now let me ask you this church, isn't this problem familiar to us? Isn't this very relevant for us today? Like the Corinthians, we are guilty of living human and fleshly lives. We are guilty of living out our social values of our world today. And we are guilty of not living out our new spiritual reality, the reality of the cross. So Paul responds to this problem in verses 11, chapter 3. He says this. He says, like the Corinthians, he says, sorry, let me skip to the next, I skipped that slide. Sorry, let me skip to the thesis of what Paul is saying. He's saying, anything built, pursued, and accomplished apart from the foundation of the cross counts for nothing. That's his answer to their problem of living into the social world. 
Anything built or pursued and accomplished apart from the foundation of the cross counts for nothing. So this morning, we'll be talking about this very relevant problem for us. Every Christian will have to go to this test. How will you live authentic spiritual lives amidst this competitive world that we live in today? How can we live authentic spiritual lives in this very worldly and human environment that we live in, like the Corinthian church? We'll be talking about how the cross unshackles us and chains us and liberates us towards living this new spiritual reality. And to discuss this, we will be discussing three things this morning. We have to focus on the master. Then next, we have to focus on the foundation. And third, we'll be focusing on the spirit. Let's begin with focusing on the master. Like the social world of the Corinthians, our world is like them. We are boasting, we're bragging about our accomplishments. If you would know, back in Paul's time, or in Jesus' time, in the writings of Cicero or Seneca, you would know that the rich, the elites of the Greeks and Romans, they would be chasing after new wisdom, new philosophies, right? They, were, they would chase after what is the latest fad, and they would gain these philosophies, they would learn it. Because at that time, to be perceived as wise is to have more status, more honor, more glory, so it would not be so unfamiliar to see them debating in the public square of the market, you know, in the agora, as they say. They're talking about, oh, this is a new philosophy I have. This is a new wisdom. Because in that day, they were all trying to get a leg up over each other. They were trying to have more status, more glory than each other. It was a highly competitive society because at that time, they believed if you have no status, if you have no honor, you are nothing. Does that sound familiar? Don't we live in such a world today? And like the Corinthians, they fell into, the, into this trap. The Corinthian church fell into this trap. They began boasting and bragging about their leaders. Because of their newfound faith in Christ, they began using Apollos, Paul, as their champions. They're saying, I follow Paul, therefore I am wiser than you. Some were saying, I follow Apollos, therefore I am more spiritual than you. Mine is bigger, mine is better, mine is greater. To which Paul responds in verses 5 to 7, what is Apollos? What is Paul? We are just servants who came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither one who plants or the one who waters anything, but it is God who gives the growth. Paul is saying this, church, you have missed the point. We are just servants. We're not the master. It doesn't matter if I plant. It doesn't matter if he waters. We're both servants. And it do, planting and watering does not matter if the master does not provide the growth. The growth is everything. The servants are meaningless without the master. Only the master matters. Focus on the master is what Paul was saying. Church, can I ask you this? Is there anything wrong with having preferences for your spiritual leaders? What do you think? Well, the answer is no. There's, there's, no, there's nothing wrong here with having a preference. But the problem here for the Corinthian church wasn't their preference, but it was the underlying human desire for more status, for more glory, for more honor. They were not saying, I follow Paul or Apollos only. They were saying this, I follow Paul, therefore I am more learned than you. 
They were saying, I follow Apollos, therefore I am more spiritual than you. That is what they were saying. So it was not about the readers, it was about themselves. Do we see this? Do we recognize this? Hence, we have to realize as a church as well, this is our biggest problem. One of our most human and underlying desires is the desire to be more important, to, be, to have more status, more honor, more glory. Because we live in a society that is wired to be competitive. Early on, you know, children, they would learn this very, very painful lesson. If you are, you know, early on children, if you're in your grade school, elementary school, they would know this, this problem. That there are losers and winners in life. Diba? It doesn't matter how academically gifted you are. Only the top three students will have their face plastered on the screen, correct? It doesn't matter if all of us here are academically gifted. It doesn't matter if all of us here score 99 because it's one person who scores a 100 who will have his face plastered on the screen. He will get the awards. He will come up stage and people clapping and people will say, oh, it's a yagao or this one very good. People will say that. And we live in such a world. We live in a society. It's a zero-sum game. Only a small percentage of people will get everything. We live in a society that we're not valued by who we are, but how much better we are relatively to other people. Amen? Don't say amen to that. Huh? That's a joke, guys. When I was still working in corporate, I asked my hiring manager this. How do you hire fresh grads? What is your, what is your criteria? Sabi ng, ng hiring manager namin, we have two piles of resume. One pile is all others, and one pile is the graduates of the top four universities. Oh, she was very frank with me with that. I was shocked. But that's the reality of our world. We live in such a prejudiced and competitive society that it doesn't matter how good you are, this is how the world is structured. And like the Corinthians, we are hardwired to live with these competitive human values. We are afraid if we don't participate in our human and social world, we will get left behind. We are afraid that if we don't compete, that we don't embody these values, we will be nobodies. We will be losers. And we are afraid. We are so deadly afraid. So like the Corinthians, perhaps we're beginning to use our newfound faith to gain more honor and glory for ourselves because we live in such a social world. We live in such a reality. Perhaps a lot of us believe that without honor, without status, we are nothing. Perhaps some of us believe, if I don't have all my money, if I don't have my wealth, I'm nobody. Perhaps some of us believe, without my grades, I'm nothing. Without my position in my community, I am nothing. Perhaps we begin thinking, we begin using the church for our status, begin saying, oh, my church is better than your church. Begin saying, oh, this church's preaching is better than that church's preaching. That worship service is better than your worship service. Do we not realize that we're being like the Corinthians when we say these things? We say to each other secretly, underlyingly, we are better Christians than you are. We are more spiritual than you are. And Paul says this, are you not just being mere human? Because Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what the leaders do. It doesn't matter what the churches do. What matters is everything is meaningless. Their work, no matter how important it seems, is meaningless without God that blesses the work. Without God who grows it. Again, Paul says, what is then Apollos? What is Paul? We're just servants who came to believe. We are nothing. 
but it is God who gives the growth. And as we continue on, we will see that he says this, the one who plants, the one who waters has a common purpose. Each will receive wages according to their labor, for we are God's servants. Working together, you are God's field, you are God's building. Paul is saying this, what you need to understand is Apollos and I, we are equal partners. We are on the same team. We are united. And we're working on the same field. That's you, the church. We're, build, we're working for the same master, and that is God. Why focus on the servants? Why focus on our backgrounds and our talents? Why focus on our work? Shouldn't we focus on the master? Do you guys know this show? There's a new show in Netflix called The Brothers Soon. Can you see show of hands? Who else, who else watches this show? Okay, those who raise their hands, you are instantly my friends. These, oh my gosh, guys, I can't just, I, I just want to say how good this show is. So the reason why I love this show, Brother Soon, is because it, it captures so much and represents so much of our Asian culture, our East Asian culture and context. Um, can, can I, forgive me for those who hasn't watched it, huh? I'm just going to spoil it a bit. Bit lang naman. So, but you can still watch it. Huh? You can still enjoy it. So the story is about two brothers. They're, they're in the screen. Younger, the younger brother, Bruce, he's in the middle. He lives a normal human life in the United States. But then there's the older brother. His name is Charles. He's the tough-looking guy. Charles, however, grew up in Taiwan. And he grew up under a father who was a crime boss, a gangster leader, a boss of triads. So Charles grew up to be an assassin. He was raised to become an assassin. He kills for his family. He kills for his dad's gang. He is trained to be a human weapon at a very young age. His life purpose, Charles, is drilled upon him when he was a little kid. And the words come up again and again in the show. Protect the family. That is what his dad always told Charles growing up. But in the course of the show, when Charles meets his brother, Bruce, he realizes that he's having battles with his conscience, recurring battles. I don't want to be a killer anymore. He's, being, he's so guilty whenever he takes life. And as he spends more time with his younger brother, Bruce, who lives a normal life, Charles realizes that he finds peace in the simple activity of baking. He loves baking. Behind the tough exterior of this, you know, uh, scar-filled guy, filled with blood. Behind it is a kind, compassionate person who just loves baking delicious things. In the end, Charles is faced with this life-changing decision. Leave the underworld forever and start his own bakery. Or continue living in this blood-drenched underworld that he's in as a professional assassin, a killer. He struggles with his choice because he would have to betray his father, the crime boss. So in one of the most powerful scenes, Bruce, who has had enough of the killings, begs his brother Charles. He says this, Charles, we can leave all of this and we can just run away and you can start a bakery. Then Michelle, Michelle Yeoh, the mom, she plays the mom, by the way. She says this, Bruce, you don't understand. It's not that simple. You don't understand what it's like to be a father's son. You don't understand what it's like to be a father's son. I was thinking to myself, well, was this show made for me? Because I struggle with that too. I struggle to live under the shadow of my father's expectations. I think this captures one of our biggest challenges today as a Filipino Chinese church, as an Asian church. 
more than we want to admit to ourselves, we are more Chinese than we are Christian. We are more Filipino than we are Christian. And it is true. When we have family gatherings, our grandparents would collect all their grandchildren and say, Oh, tsugi yagao, tsugi bogao. She would compare their grandchildren. It's funny, but it's true. Our parents would compare you to other children. Why are you not as gifted as this person? Why are you not as academically gifted or as athletic? So in time, many of us grow up to be workaholics. We grow up to be performance-oriented, that we forget the last time that we really spent time with God. Is it not true? As parents ourselves now, we carry on the same culture. We force our children to have excellent grades. We drill it upon them. Pursue excellence above anything else. So we begin to enroll our children in math classes. Come on, anybody? Writing classes, English classes. We tell them that they have to try out for the basketball team, the volleyball team, the badminton team. We make them learn an instrument, piano, violin, guitar, what have you. No wonder, no wonder everybody grows up to be overly competitive, to be so performance-obsessed and oriented. We become so obsessed with success in this world that no wonder our children are filled with so much anxiety, with so much doubt, with so much soul-crushing pressure and insecurity. This is something that we don't really talk about, but it is true. Like the Corinthian church, we have fallen in the trap of achieving status, honor, and glory, the expectations of our family, of our culture, that we have lost focus on the master. Many of us are still living today in this fleshly human values. Many of us have forgotten what it means to live in this new spiritual reality as a Christian. And Paul recognizes this, and he reminds us again, Anything built and pursued and accomplished apart from the foundation of the cross counts for nothing. Paul reminds us to focus on the master because we're so tempted to focus on the servants, on ourselves. And the next thing he tells us is we have to focus on the foundation. Allow me to read the passage, verses 10 to 15. According to the grace that God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I lay the foundation. And someone else is building upon it. And each builder must choose with care and how to build upon it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds at a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood and hay and straw, the work of each builder become visible, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire. And fire will test what sort of work each has done. What has been built on the foundation survives, and the builder will receive a reward. If the work is burned, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Church, the foundation is Jesus Christ. The values, our new value system is a new spiritual reality built upon the cross. Now, I think there are just some things that we have to really focus on here. The danger is, the passage implies that you can build an incredible structure, a beautiful building, but build it upon the wrong foundation. You can do church, you can do ministry, but you can do it all upon the wrong foundation. And Paul says, it will count for nothing when the judgment day comes, when fire will reveal 
what you've done, if it has any worth. The Corinthians were guilty of this. You will see also later in chapter 11, they have the Lord's Supper, they had the communion. But they do it by discriminating with prejudice towards people who are poorer with different socioeconomics. The rich will eat, and will eat lavishly and feast in their homes, while the poor will be, will be left out outside with nothing to eat. This is a church doing communion. The Corinthians were, built, were guilty of building upon the wrong foundation. They were doing church, they were doing ministry, but they were not doing it on the self-sacrificing values of, what the, of the cross. They were not doing it on the self-sacrificing values of what Jesus has done. And Paul is saying, when the last day comes, when judgment day comes, fire will come, and it will reveal if anything you've done has any worth, if it will test the stand of judgment. So those who are building with the wrong materials, building upon the wrong foundation, it will not matter. Nowadays, we, we hear of a lot of stories. Good Christian leaders. Rabbi Zacharias, for example. What an incredibly talented man. But yet, he has fallen from grace because of his scandal, because of his hidden sins. Because of that, RZIM, which used to stand at the peak of Christian ministries, that, that no longer exists today. I have seen, as well, my fair share of great leaders filled with theological knowledge, who knows the Bible well, but they have secret sins that has been made to light. And they're no longer with us. Their ministry, their work, has all burned down doesn't matter anymore. In an Asian culture where we always put our best foot forward, we make it seem that we're good, we're great, we're wonderful. But deep inside, we have a lot of issues as well that we're not dealing with. Keep us accountable. As pastors, it may seem that we have it all together. But perhaps there's something that we're going through that you don't know. Not saying that it's Mia, pero just saying, let's keep each other accountable because we need to be vigilant lest what we're building will all burn down. Let me talk more about this foundation that is the cross. What is it like? How can we build upon it? Well, I'll tell you what the cross isn't. You know, the cross is not glamorous. It actually is loaded with insinuations of death, decay, disgust, but now we're so desensitized to it because we have crosses on our Bibles, we wear it upon our necks, we have crosses outside the, in the building of the church, we cross everywhere, we see the sign of the cross. But back in Paul's and Jesus' day, you do not utter the word cross in polite society. You, don't need, you cannot say the word crooks in Latin, which means cross. You do not say it, it is not polite. Imagine this, imagine that you're invited to a wedding banquet, a reception, and everybody's wearing their best clothes. Everybody's having a good time. And you're eating together, celebrating the, the union of these two beautiful, of this beautiful couple. And as you're eating, suddenly you bring about, you, bring, you, you raise topics of people getting dismembered. You talk about people getting beheaded. You talk about people getting tortured, eyes getting gouged out. You will bring about feelings of disgust, of terror, of dread. And that's what it's like when you talk about the cross in Paul's and Jesus' day. 
people will feel even nauseated by the word cross because that is a dreadful, dreadful punishment. To be crucified is to have your body naked and to have it rot, to have the maggots and the carrion and the birds feast upon the flesh of the crucified until nothing is left. Church, we are called to live in such a radical, counterintuitive life because our life should be embodying how radical, how counterintuitive the gospel is of what the cross is saying. It's, supposed, it's meant to be offensive. It's meant to be disgusting. It's meant for other people. It's meant to be shocking because of how different our lives should be. And what we often get wrong about the cross is that we just limit it to the sacrifice of Jesus. It is true we are forgiven because of, our, we are forgiven because of the cross. It is true we're forgiven because of the cross. But what we forget is we are forgiven by the cross. It's not just the end result of forgiveness that we get because of the cross, but it is the means of the cross that we are saved. Jesus lives the perfect human life that we are meant to embody. He represents us. He crosses the finish line that we cannot cross ourselves. We are meant to call, we're, we're called to live like Jesus. Every step we take is a step closer to the cross. When Jesus says the words, follow me, and you respond, you follow him to be crucified on the cross. You don't just take the victory, you also take the suffering alongside with him. Do we understand that? Paul is asking the Corinthian church, do you want to be spiritual? Then follow Jesus to be crucified on the cross. Let go of the old order of the world. Let go of what is human, what is competitive, and live and build your life upon this new foundation, which is Jesus Christ, the cross. So like the Corinthian church, we are faced with this choice today. Live out our humanness, the values of the world, or take on this new spiritual values. Take on these new spiritual values that this world will find strange, offensive, or even laugh at. Do you guys know what this is? Those who are new amongst us, this is our old church. So you're like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's our old church. Uh, before coming to this very beautiful building, we used to live, or we used to worship, well, I used to live there. Well, we used to worship here in this small church. Although, our church, CPCB, still has a lot of ways to go. I am proud of our church. I am proud that through the decades I've been here, I've seen that the church embrace more and more and more of what it's like to live out the cross. When CPCB was still a smaller church in Talayan, we didn't have, a, we didn't have an English service yet. We only have a bilingual Chinese-English service. We also had a youth service. And we also had a Tagalog fellowship. However, those who worshipped back then in the Tagalog Fellowship, they were the drivers, the maids, the workers of those who attended the bilingual service. And of course, due to language differences, they, had, they couldn't attend the bilingual services. They, were attending their, they had their own place of worship, which was in the extended parking lot. So do you see the small red gate? Can you show the picture? Do you see that small red gate over there next to the church? That's where the Tagalog Fellowship people worshipped. It was a small makeshift building in the parking lot of our church. If you did not park there, you would, not, you would not be able to interact with them. In a lot of ways, they were segregated from the main building of our church. Sometimes when we had visitors who were of Filipino ethnicity, 
they would notice this. They would notice how far away the Tagalog worship was and how different their facilities were. It was not as big, as spacious, air-conditioned like the main worship halls of the church. They would get this feeling then of an ease of uncomfortability. And I firmly believe that our church had no bad intentions with this setup. We were just being practical. It was practical to serve the majority, the Filipino-Chinese majority. It was practical to have different services for different languages. And I, I, I personally had, didn't think too much about it until I started dating Zai, which is my wife today. So if you don't know, that is my wife. We got married a few months ago. As we were dating, of course, we also experienced our typical challenges of what any interracial couple would have. My Chinese culture and heritage was one of ethnocentrism, meaning we kept to ourselves. There was this wall that we had to cross, this great wall. I don't know if you know that. My culture told me that I had to date and marry another Chinese person. My community told me I should have followed the values, my Chinese values, of safeguarding my culture by not marrying with someone of a different culture. But my family, of course, welcomed Zai with open arms. Do you know why? Because he understood something very, very important, that we were first and foremost Christian, and we were Chinese second. We were first and foremost Christian, and we were Chinese second. Zai's faith and value superseded what our cultural narratives required of us. Although we still have a long way to go, I have seen CPCP evolve through the decades, and I can say proudly that we have moved towards the right direction. We're in the beginning stages of becoming a more multi-ethnic, multicultural, multilingual church. We're seeing more and more people prioritize the value of the cross, of, of, of having one gospel, of being one Christian people. There's no more Filipino, there's no more Chinese, there's no more different races, it's just one Christian people. One of my mentors told me this. He said, CPCP, our church, is one of the weirdest churches he's been to because it's so progressive, because of how inclusive we are. And I believe that's a good sign. The weirder we are, the more stranger we are to the world, the more likely we're following the values of the cross, of what Jesus has laid before us. Church, again, this new spiritual reality just dictates that we let go of our old human ways and we embrace the new spiritual reality of the cross. Instead of competition, we have unity. Instead of division, we have reconciliation. Instead of prejudice, we are one Christian people, one church built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and the cross. It is Jesus Christ who has made all things new, all things lovely, all things so, so beautiful. And I am glad to be part of a church which is moving towards this direction, living out these cross-like values. How about you guys? What foundation are you building your lives upon? Is it based on the competitive human values of the world? Or is it based on the self-sacrificing values of Jesus Christ and the cross? Because Paul reminds us this, that anything built, anything pursued, anything accomplished apart from the foundation of the cross counts for nothing. We're called 
to focus on the right foundation. We're called to focus on the right master. But lastly, Paul reminds us, focus on the spirit. Allow me to read our final passages with you this morning. Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. I know it's still extremely difficult to rewrite this human scripts in our lives because we have grown up in such a social and competitive environment. I know it's very difficult. Paul says that we are compelled to live our fleshly ways, our human ways. Paul says that there is a power in this world that makes you jealous, petty, and divisive. But Paul says there is a stronger power. The Spirit of God lives in you. There's a stronger power that compels you to live out the life of the Spirit, the life of the cross, to be loving, to be peaceful, to be united, to be self-sacrificing. Because even after all the failures of the Corinthian church, Paul encourages the Corinthian church. He says to the church, this is the picture of what you're meant to be. You're supposed to be the beacon of light in this dark world. You're supposed to exude God's presence whenever anyone enters your church. You're supposed to be God's alternative lifestyle in a world full of darkness and competition and, and prejudice. That's what our church is also called to be. In some ways, it's so difficult to talk about the spirit because the formation and transformation of the spirit takes in different forms in, for different individuals. I don't know how the spirit is working in you right now, but all I can do is ask you this. How is, is your soul? How is your soul? How well does it go with your soul? Think about that question. When was the last time you experienced the presence of God reforming you into the likeness of the cross? When was the last time you realized you were working too hard and spending too little time with your Lord? God, God is asking you this. Why are you spending so much time on human things and spending so little time with me? Some of us are just hanging there by a thread. We're just holding on. We don't know how long we'll last. We're, bad, we're one bad news away from complete destruction, from our breaking point. Many of us are so distracted and disoriented that we can't even last a moment of silence without bringing out our phones. Right? Counting awkwardness lang, we bring out our phones. Counting boredom lang, we bring out our phones. We're in such a state of disorientedness, of hurry, that we don't even know what it's like to experience the presence of the Spirit. We have been too distracted, too anxious, too obsessed with what the world is saying and how fast the world is, that we are not spending time in silence, in solitude with God. Our greatest challenge today in our spirituality is our inability to be in silence and solitude with God. When was the last time you spent in silence and solitude with your God? It's no secret to many of you that um, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, 
And for the longest time, I grew up under the microscope of my church community. And I was told and taught and reprimanded to be good. I had to be good. I had to be good. Lest I, I destroy the testimony of my father. I had to be good. I was ridiculed if I was not good. Eh, di ba, pastor's kid ka? Ba't ka ganyan? That was, and that was what they would tell me, and I would be hurt. Perhaps I was never given a chance to be human. Perhaps I was never given a chance to recognize that I was a sinner myself. And I grew up in such an environment that there was such an extreme pressure to be good. And I didn't know what to do with these feelings of shame, of inadequacy. So I developed defense mechanisms, perfectionist tendencies to keep away my feelings of shame, my feelings of inadequacy away. I have grown a lot since the little boy that I was. Well, I'm here, right? So I'm still a Christian. But to be honest, I still struggle with this because our sins, our deepest sins, our deepest traumas, our deepest scars, they never fade away. I mean, they never disappear. They just fade away. It's still there at the back of our minds. And as I take on new roles as a husband, I take on new roles as a pastor, as I journey through my life as a Christian, the shadow of my trauma, of my obsessiveness to perform is still there. I still feel the overwhelming pressure to be good, or else I am nothing. I hate it. I loathe it. I'm so tired of it. But thanks to the grace of God, I'm learning and I'm improving each day. I'm sacrificing. I'm surrendering myself to the Spirit more each day. A few days ago, I read this story about a monk named Theophany. And he tells this remarkable story. Allow me to just share the story. So Theophany says, I saw a monk working alone in the vegetable garden. And Theophany squatted down beside the monk and he said, Brother, what is your dream? And the monk looked straight at me. What a beautiful face he had. The monk told me, I would like to become a monk. Then Theophany answered, But brother, you are a monk, aren't you? The monk replied, I have been here for 25 years, but I still carry a gun. Then he drew a revolver from the holster under his robe. And it looked so strange, a monk carrying a gun. And Theophany said, Are you saying they won't let you become a monk until you give up your gun? Then the monk said, No, it's not that. Most of them don't even know I have a gun. Well then, why don't you give it up? And the monk said, I guess I've had it for so long, and I've been hurt a lot. I've hurt a lot of people, but I don't think I'll be comfortable without this gun. Then Theophany said, but you seem so uncomfortable with the gun. Yes, it is uncomfortable. Then, he whisp- then Theophany whispered, why don't you give me the gun? Why don't you give me the gun? And the monk began to tremble and he hand over the gun. And his tears streamed from his face and the monk embraced him. Church, many of us today have a gun. Some way of protecting ourselves. Some way of making ourselves feel safe. Hidden under the robe of our traumas, of our defense mechanisms, of our sin. And it's easy to keep your gun hidden from the rest of the world. 
But you know that holding on to that gun, that's against the person that God is transforming you to become. We know that if the gun was to go off accidentally, you would hurt yourselves, you would hurt a lot of people. We are comfortable living with our guns, but we are so afraid to live without it. Holding on to your defense mechanisms, your, your, your sins, those behaviors that you, you use to pursue the world that we live in is a, manifest, a manifestation of our unwillingness to surrender ourselves to God, to the Spirit, to the journey that is ahead. But there is another desire that is greater than our desire to be safe. And that is a desire to surrender to God and experience Him. Many of you today are hearing God whisper, why don't you give me the gun? Why don't you hand over the gun? And some of us tremble with longing, with hope, with fear, with promise. As God quietly waits and patiently waits for you until you're ready to hand over the gun. And when you hand over the gun, I promise you, tears will stream down your face because you will finally experience what it's like to be free to experience the Spirit of God. Like the Corinthian church, we are vulnerable to this competitive worldly values that pervade all levels of our society. But Paul reminds us that we're able to go against the tide. How? Focus on the master. Focus on the foundation that is the cross. Focus on the spirit that calls you to be renewed each day, to let go of the gun. Perhaps it is time for many of us to deeply reflect where we are right now. What are the next steps you can take to live out the spiritual reality of the cross? Perhaps you need to take the time today, tomorrow, this week, to just really spend a moment of silence and solitude with the Father. Perhaps you need to take that day off, that vacation you've been postponing all this time because of work. Perhaps it's time to take it. Perhaps it's time to spend less time on work and more time with your God, with your families, with yourself. Perhaps it's time to replace our perfectionism with, with good enough so that you can spend more time with, with our Lord, with the cross, with Jesus Christ. I pray, church, that your soul be well with you. Because Paul is saying this, anything built, anything pursued, anything accomplished apart from the foundation of the cross counts for nothing. Let us pray. Lord, our foundation, look into our hearts, look into our souls. Look into our motivations, our frustrations. Look into our sorrow, our grief, our tragedies. Look into the emptiness of our lives, our despair. Lead us to you. Lead us to the cross. Fill our hearts with joy like no other, a new spiritual reality like no other. Look into all that we are. Open our eyes that we can see, that we may see your cross, your awesome majesty. In the name of Father and of our Son, amen. Right now, we'll just spend some moments of silence. We have some questions in the screen that you can use to reflect on the message this morning. <laughs>